Welcome to the Locked On Yankees podcast, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Stacey Gotsoulias, and I'm the host of Locked On Yankees. You can find me on Twitter at Stace Gotts or at the Locked On Yankees handle. Please feel free to tweet questions or comments to either account. If you're a new listener, hello and welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. I hope you all enjoy today's episode. Yesterday, the Hall of Fame ballot came out, and the biggest name on that ballot, aside from the guys who have been there for a while, is Derek Jeter. So we'll talk about that and some other stuff. But first, you can get Locked On Yankees and all other Locked On podcasts straight to your phone in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And when you get into your car, you can tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Yankees. So the Hall of Fame ballot came out, and Derek Jeter is the biggest new name on there. There are actually a ton of former Yankees, whether they played with the Yankees a short time or a long time. And I always talk about how old I'm feeling, and this really makes me feel old. (laughs) So there are 18 players on the ballot that are new. And then 14 who have been on the ballot. So as you all recall, last year, Mo and Moose got in, along with Edgar Martinez and the late Roy Halladay. So this year, Jeter is joined by nine other former Yankees. Like I said, some played for the Yankees a while, others did not. Bobby Abreu, Eric Chavez, Roger Clemens is there, Jason Giambi, first-timer, uh, Raul Ibanez, Andrew Jones, Andy Pettit, Brian Roberts. Yes, remember when he played for the Yankees in 2014? 2014 and 2013 are kind of like black hole years for the Yankees. And if you go to Baseball Reference and press on any game in 2013 or 2014, you are guaranteed to laugh at the lineup. Gary Sheffield and Alfonso Soriano. So there are some names on the Hall of Fame ballot, along with Jeter. As for Jeter, there's going to be so much debate about his Hall of Fame, not worthiness, because he's obviously a Hall of Famer. He has the sixth highest hit total in baseball history. So anyone who thinks that he's less than a first ballot Hall of Famer is a dum-dum, no offense. I know his defense wasn't great, but his offense more than cancels that out. Will he be unanimous like Mo? No, definitely not. And Yankee fans should not get insulted if Jeter goes in with 96, 97, 98% of the vote. Just don't. He's in. He's in on the first ballot. You will see him make a boring speech (laughs) at Cooperstown next summer. It's all fine. So because of Jeter being a first-timer on the Hall of Fame ballot and him being the one sure thing. Lots of articles about his greatest moments in Yankee pinstripes are coming out. And for me, I witnessed his walk-off against Arizona in the 2001 World Series in Game 4. I saw him pass Lou Gehrig on the all-time hit list. I wasn't at his 3,000th. What else? There was another thing I attended. Which play was I at? How come I don't remember this? Let's see. Let's see what the article's top 10 are. Okay. So his first moment in... Oh, okay. They're doing chronological. So 
April 2nd, 1996, when he hit his first home run. October 9th, 1996, the Jeffrey Mayer home run. Uh, July of 2000, he was the All-Star MVP against the Mets. He was the World Series MVP. In 2001, the flip play. Number six is Mr. November, which I just said I was there. Number seven is the dive against the Red Sox in July of 04. Number eight is passing Lou Gehrig. I was there for that. Number nine is Mr. 3000. And his 10th moment is the walk-off against the Orioles, which I still can't watch to this day. I was with my dad that night, and it was the last day that he was technically alive. So anytime I see the footage of Jeter's walk-off, I start crying. And for some reason, the local news stations played that clip as his defining moment when there are so many other clips they could have played like the flip play that's a big deal or the mr november clip that's a big deal remember to get this show every day subscribe in apple podcasts google podcasts himalaya spotify stitcher or wherever else you get your podcasts and when you get into your car you can tell your smart device to play podcast locked on yankees guys let's talk about sex Remember the days when you were always ready to go? You would stride to the plate and hit a first pitch home run every time? Well, now you can return to your glory days, increase your performance, and get that extra confidence in bed. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know they work. Just think of it as a PED that won't get you suspended. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Though I wouldn't take them on the subway because they're chewable and they work up to twice as fast as a pill. But if you want your lady to take a fun, long ride on your D-train, Blue Chew is for you. Now this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. And what's more, Blue Chew is cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our promo code MLB. You just paid $5 for shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code MLB to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. On yesterday's podcast, I was lamenting about how boring the offseason is so far. I mean, save the Astros cheating scandal, because that's hilarious. But everything else is pretty boring. Um, The biggest news about the Yankees yesterday was that Aaron Judge brought his girlfriend to Eric Jagiello's wedding, and that they're still going strong. Could you imagine? The other story um, that I'd like to focus on Late last night, I think it went up around 10 o'clock, there's a, an article on NewYorkPost.com by Dan Martin about the Yankees' newest pitching coach, Matt Blake. In the article, he talks to Shane Bieber of the Indians. Bieber, if you recall, made the All-Star team in 2019, and he credits Blake with his resurgence, or his surge, because it wasn't a resurgence. He came out of nowhere and made the all-star team. Baby, 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 oh, like, baby, baby, oh, like. 
Bieber said that Blake made him use his curveball more. He said, Matt had a lot of ideas of how to add that to my repertoire, and the pitch had a lot to do with the success I had last year. He worked with me on when to throw it, how to get more spin on it, and what counts it was most effective. Now, Bieber and Blake, their ties with each other go back to 2015 when Bieber was still at the University of California at Santa Barbara, and he was pitching for the Yarmouth Dennis Red Sox in the Cape Cod Summer League, and Blake was his pitching coach there. Now, Bieber only spent a few weeks with that team, but he said when he was drafted in the fourth round by the Indians, it was at the same time that Blake was joining the organization. So he says about Blake, he has extensive pitching knowledge, but he also has an ability to get along with everybody. He's a player first type coach in this world with the way the game is going, and it's more about analytics. You can lose a little of that personal touch, but he gets it. And he said, selfishly, I wish we could have held on to him longer. He's the perfect blend of old school and new school. He's got a mind that's perfect for the game right now. With all the information available, you can get a little lost. He's able to relay those messages without it being confusing. Bieber added, he understands what he sees on a computer and what he sees on a field. I think he'll be great with this role. Mound visits, in-game adjustments, he'll be able to deal with all of it, even if he hasn't done it much before. And on a fun note, Matt Blake is only 34 years old. It's one thing when players are younger than you, because that started happening to me, um, I believe, when I was 25. Yes, because Alfonso Soriano came up and he was 24. And I believe he was the first player on the Yankees who was younger than me. And it didn't make me feel old at 25. But now, 20 years later at 45, you're hearing about coaches who are in their mid-30s, and it's just depressing. And now my brother is actually feeling old. He just turned 41. And, you know, he, as younger brothers do, used to make fun of how old I was, you know, because we had season tickets. You all know this. I had season tickets from 1999 to 2013. You know, when they show the guy's date of birth on the scoreboard, my brother started making fun of me when everyone was becoming way younger than me. But now he's feeling it, too. And, you know, payback or karma is the B word. So, you know, don't make fun of your older siblings because it'll come back to bite you in the butt. Now, as I said yesterday, the Houston Astros cheating scandal is just hilarious to me. I'm loving every second of it. I'm loving all of these conspiracy theories that are coming out now. Like a picture came out. I'm not sure which player it was, but they had some sort of sticker on their batting glove. And people were trying to say that maybe it was some sort of a button for a buzzer. Oh, this is just glorious. I love it. This is the one thing that's getting me through this boring offseason. And what I love about it is, you know, this has Dodgers fans up in arms because the bulk of the cheating was happening during 2017 when the Astros beat the Dodgers in the World Series. So Dodgers fans are really hoping that the Astros would get their title taken away from them. They won't. That will never happen. I will I will guarantee that that would never happen. Baseball would never do that. Will there be some sort of sanctions going on and maybe suspensions for people in the organization? Probably. Because again, as I said yesterday, it's one thing to steal signs in the traditional way of your players doing it by standing on second and trying to see what the catcher's doing. I mean, Mark Teixeira did that. Was it against the Red Sox? I'm trying to remember what year it was and which team it was, and they were getting all pissy with him. 
and oh no, was it the Mets? I think it was against the Mets in either 2015 or 2016 because it was close to when he re- like around the time he was retiring. And you know, it's one thing to do it in the game. It's another again, like I said, when you use technology, when you use garbage cans. <laughs> it's just it's amazing to me that once people found out what was happening, they found all those clips of Astros games from 2017 and the bangs happening and then the Astros hitters sitting back on breaking balls and just crushing them because they knew that they were coming. Unbelievable. I I like that in the um, uh, Los Angeles Times, I think it was, they were calling them the Houston Asterix, which that's, that's clever. Kudos to whoever came up with that. I wish I had come up with that. I just want to go back to the Hall of Fame ballot because I didn't talk about everyone who was on it. So here are your first timers. Bobby Abreu, Josh Beckett, Heath Bell, Eric Chavez, Adam Dunn, Joan Figgins, Rafael Fercal, Jason Giambi, Raul Ibanez, Derek Jeter, Paul Canerco, Cliff Lee, Carlos Pena, Brad Penny, J.J. Putz, Brian Roberts, Alfonso Soriano, and Jose Valverde. And then the holdovers. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Andy Pettit, Manny Ramirez, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, Sammy Sosa, Omar Vizquel, Billy Wagner, and Larry Walker. Larry Walker, this is his 10th and final season on the ballot. And last year, he only got 54.6% of the vote. Other notables, Kurt Schilling, got 60.9%, Roger Clemens got 59.5%, Barry Bonds got 59.1%, and Omar Vizquel got 42.8%. Guys who are hovering around a low percentage, Andy Pettit got 9.9%, Sammy Sosa got 8.5%, and Andrew Jones got 7.5%. As you all know, players who receive less than 5% of the votes are removed from the ballot the following year. Things to look out for. Will Walker make it in his final year? Now, a good sign is that he got 34.1% of the vote in 2018, and then he jumped 20.5 percentage points in 2019. So he's going to need the same kind of leap in his last year in order to make it. Um, It'll be interesting to see if Bonds and Clemens gain anything they expire in 2022, so they have a couple more years to go. And other than Jeter, uh, as a first-timer, using the Bill James Hall of Fame monitor, which is a rough scale in which a player who scores over 100 is likely to be inducted, and a player under 100 is less likely, the first-timers with the highest scores. Jason Giambi, 108. Alfonso Soriano, 105. Bobby Abreu is just under with 95. Paul Konerko with an 80, Adam Dunn with a 75, and Cliff Lee with 72. So Jason Giambi's probably not going to make the Hall of Fame. I think he's Hall of Very Good. As much as I love Jason Giambi, there's, I don't think there's any way he's getting into the Hall of Fame. 
So that's it for this episode of Locked On Yankees, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'd like to remind you that you can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And when you get into your car, you can tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Yankees. One more thing, if you could be so kind, please rate the podcast and spread the word about this podcast to your fellow Yankee fans or fellow baseball fans. We would really appreciate it. So enjoy your Tuesday, and I will talk to you all tomorrow. 